ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. It is Halloween, October 31st. Rex... Two questions to start. A, do you give out full-size candy bars? And B, what sort of combo collaborative outfit do you, have, do you and Bunk have whipped up for this uh, year's Halloween? We don't give out full-size candy bars. Do you? Wow. You make a lot more money than I do if you give out full-size candy bars. We give out the good stuff, like there's Reese's Pieces and Snickers and all the good stuff. But I don't – like you're talking about like a full-size – no, we don't do that. You That's do. pretty popular. That's pretty popular now. If you want to, If you want to give the kids – what they actually want. Uh, we don't, personally. And actually, shopping for Halloween candy this year, Rex, it was insanely expensive. I don't know if it's inflation. I don't know if the, the chocolate factories are going through a difficult time. Uh, expensive. Eight ninety nine a bag for some Kit Kats and some Twix and some Airheads. Yeah, a little bit excessive. Uh, we don't have we have a we have friends over not not really a party tonight. Happy Halloween, by the way. And uh, we don't really dress up like my wife is really into gory stuff. Bunkmate like likes to do the whole makeup thing. Um, stop doing that. I stopped doing that a few years ago. She still does it. No, we still, uh, lo- we still we still do makeup, including on this podcast. Uh, that's true. I, there's only one kind of makeup that, that I'm <laughs> I'm comfortable putting on my face now. Uh, if I'm being honest, and this one. So um, this one. Yeah, that, that's right. That one. Thank you, Jess. Really, really appreciate it. Um, so it's more of a, like the highlight for us is, so we have a, we all kind of go in the driveway, never been to my house, but so we have a, a big driveway. So all the kids walk by and like at the end of the driveway, we had, we had the big bowl. And so they, we kind of let them put their grubby little paws in there and pull out whatever it is that they want. And then we have like a cooler of like soft drinks and waters for the kids. And then we have a grown up cooler of beers and whatnot for the grown ups. And so we're a big hit around the neighborhood. Like the, the dads will make two loops intentionally to make two stops at our house just to make sure that, yeah, yeah, grab whatever candy you want. IPA, good, good. So you don't give out full-size candy bars, but you, you do give out double IPAs. Uh, not double. That'd be ridiculous. But, yes, we give out IPAs. Come Old by the house. Ba- in Riverbend. Old money bag, Hoggard. <laughs> Folks, yeah. if, you, if, you, if you want some IPAs, swing it over to Longwood. What age do kids stop trick-or-treating? I mean, I've – Mine, mine turns five in December. I've got a two-year-old as well. Like, how many more years do we, do we have to go through this? Is this is this another decade? Do kids do kids age out of it? I live in Nocatee, where where literally everyone is between the ages of thirty-two and forty-seven. If you're a parent, I feel like we're in the throes of it for the next decade here. Decade's probably good. It, it kind of depends. Like we, you know, I had I had three, so I had sort of the the perfect experiment. Like one of the the, the middle one got old really really quick. And so he quit, stopped kind of trick-or-treating around 13, 14 years old. Uh, the younger one probably went a little bit later. So, yeah, you got about a decade. Got a decade of pulling kids around the neighborhood when it's hot and sweaty in Florida in October. And Although it's going to be nice tonight. 
Uh, it is going to be nice tonight. Uh, it'll be cooler tomorrow. More on that uh, at the end of this podcast. That is what we call in the business a tease. Rex and I have a special event in which we will be together on November 1st. Rex, let's get to the golf a little bit before we get into our shindig on Wednesday. To me, the most notable news item of the past week, hello, Titleist, uh, in a press conference last week ahead of Asia Pacific Amateur at Royal Melbourne. How much fun would that have been? If you were a great amateur player to play Royal Melbourne uh, with a spot to play in the Masters, both Masters chairman Fred Ridley and RNA Chief Executive Martin Slumbers were asked about what they are going to do with live golfers as it pertains to the major championships in 2024. They had two different answers. At least that's how I interpreted it. Fred Ridley of the Masters said he does not anticipate any changes at this time for the 2024 Masters, while Martin Slumbers uh, said that recent suggestions, most notably, in the Telegraph, that the PIF and the RNA could somehow negotiate a deal that would guarantee some spots in the open for live golfers was, quote, completely off the mark and that they're still evaluating the qualification criteria for next year. What was your read on all of this that dropped late last week? I need to capitulate on something here before we get, get into that answer. Really, really, really good question, but I need to apologize. I, 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 I was very critical of Bunkmate, my beautiful wife, last week for having the audacity of saying that the David Beckham docuseries, which is a four-parter on Netflix, was better than the Michael Jordan docuseries, which was uh, an eight-parter, I think, on Netflix, if I remember correctly. I thought that was just sacrilege. I thought, what, what, what kind of heresy is this? This is ridiculous. You don't know what you're talking about. I have since watched the David Beckham doc, and a couple things. One, it is better because I think it's more honest, if I'm being clear. Like I, I just think David Beckham allowed himself to be shown – as the beautiful man that he is, and also as this sort handsome. of flawed and handsome man, as as well as this sort of flawed sort of anti-hero with all the warts that come along with that. And so I thought it was really w- w- good storytelling. You got a, I'm not a big fan of the kickball, but you got a better idea of exactly why what made him so great. But that's not why I'm capitulating. We talked about this yesterday. I couldn't wait to get to it. And these are not sponsors of the podcast. As you all know, we don't have a sponsor of the podcast. We'd love a sponsor, particularly a this- grill sponsor. Or an alcohol well, sponsor. Literally anything. This, we're just, we're this just one that I'm this about point. to drop. Like I'm about to give some free publicity. So at the end of this doc, like the last 15 minutes of the Beckham series, it essentially is Beckham outside of his English estate on a, on a beautiful winter morning. And you can tell it's cold. And it, apparently he spends every morning in this tent that's got like this unbelievably like versatile and, and robust and, and massive grill. And it's got, I'm going to get this wrong. You looked it up yesterday. It's the, it's the Cashmere Caveman Company. Is that it? Yes. Yep get that right and so it's it's just this massive kitchen so you have and it's all fed by 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 fuel by by wood or charcoal it's got like a blackstone version it's obviously got a smoker it's got all of these things i watched that three times just just that just that part just that part just that. <laughs> and then i took a deep dive on the internet that lasted about three hours trying to figure out exactly what the cave how much was. how much do those kitchens cost his was 50 grand I'm very versed in this, uh, but his is kind of built out a little bit like his tent. We have our friend. Uh, that feels like a bargain. It feels like a bargain, uh, to be honest with it, you. It kind of did. It is a tent. But we have our friend uh, with the European tour, Tom, who you know we, we spend a lot of time with at the Ryder Cup. And Tom kind of blew us both away when we – and we're getting to the grilling talk uh, really, really early in this podcast. I apologize. But uh, he kind of blew us away because we were talking about – you and I were saying what we were going to grill when we got home. And he's like, eh, I already put mine away. And he lives in England. And we were both like – dumbfounded like if you told us that he threw his car into the river we, we i think you and i would have had less of a shocked re- response because we were like what are you talking about and i guess it gets really cold 
and that in the UK, they don't have like porches, like you're sitting on your lovely porch right now. I, I have my porch that just got finished. And so we don't have, they don't have that. And so it made sense as soon as I saw Beckham in his tent with the flaps down and the smoke going and he's cooking and he's making breakfast in the whole nine yards. And I'm like, Oh, I get it now. That's brilliant. Tom, my man, just get a pellet grill, man. You plug it in, let it ride all one along. I do appreciate that Mia culpa off the top uh, to bunk mate. Uh, I'm not sure if she's off camera uh, pointing a gun at you. Uh, I feel like you should be holding up a newspaper. This is not a hostage video. How about the question? Rex, how about the question at hand? The golf question now, seven minutes. In this podcast, uh, I do appreciate it. Me a couple once again. Good luck with that one, Goldie. Uh, I'm going to say that it's the answers I expected. There's no reason for the major championships to move quickly on this. This goes back to talking with a lot of live players, talking with a lot of live officials two weeks ago at Doral at their team championship. There is a high level of confidence. Now, this is sort of the new way to deal with the media is if you say something loud enough and long enough that you hope it just comes true. So in this particular case, I think that's what Liv is leaning into, that if you say whatever it is you want loud enough and long enough and repeatedly enough, that eventually the four major championships will K because we've, we've addressed this. That because of the world ranking situation and Liv Golf does not get world ranking points, that now you've left those players in sort of this major championship limbo. Tyler Gooch, for, Taylor Gooch, for example, isn't qualified for the majors next year. So it becomes an issue. The easiest carve out, at least from the live golf perspective is if each one of the four major championships decided just to make some sort of exemption categories for pick your number, the top five off the live money list or, or, or points list, whatever you want to call it, top 10, whatever the case may be, at least that provides an avenue. And I think from the live perspective, that makes sense from the major championship perspective. It's clear they're not going to get bullied into this. And I'm not even saying it's not going to happen because if you're Fred Ridley or if you're the RNA or if you're any of the majors, it does start to become an issue if you don't, quote unquote, have the best players in the world. I think we could have argued that Taylor Gooch is a top whatever player, fill in the gap, top 20 player, top 15 player. Like he's a really good player, even though he joined that tour. If he's not in the major championships, that's a problem. But it doesn't seem as if the majors are in much of a rush to get to whatever the solution is going to be. Yeah, it's pretty clear that the major organizers who were part of the OWGR board that made the world ranking decision as it, as it pertains to live, like Jay Monahan recused himself, Keith Peller recused himself. The major organizers were the ones who decided live golf's fate. And so it's, it's pretty obvious that they're not uh, in a rush to do uh, live golf a solid. You make a great point, Rex, about them screaming and thinking long enough if they, if they say it for long enough that they're going to make some changes. They said that about the world ranking. They kept calling it obsolete for months and months on end. Well, that's still the determining factor uh, in most of these major championship qualification criteria. They, they say over and over again that the majors need to do the right thing and carve out spots for uh, live golfers, whether it's one guy, whether it's three guys, whether it's five guys, whether it's 12 guys, which is what Phil Mickelson suggested. And the majors just come back and say, ah, not really. That's the way we're going to be doing things. I do agree that the optics are not great. Having just five live golfers who are exempt into all four major championships in 2024, based mostly on the recent major championship performance, those five players being Brooke Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Bryce DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson, and Cameron Smith. I agree. That's, that's, that's not a great look. Then again, you sit around and look at the, the roster of live players. Like, who, who are we leaving out? Who, who deserves to be in the Masters who's not going to be there? Now, I, I do agree that Taylor Gooch, it, it seems odd to not have him there by data golf's metrics, which takes into account uh, live performances as, as well as traditional PJ Tour and DP World Tour performances. He's, like, he's the 29th best player 
in the world, according to their metrics. And yet he's out to the top 20 in the OWGR and has virtually no path to get to Augusta National. But I also, you go down the list, like this Harold Varner, Nito Pereira, Joaquin Neiman. Like I'm not, I'm not sure that the Masters is worse off if we don't have those players. And yet I'm still, I still side with the live players that, that there should be a very, very small uh, carve out for them as it pertains to the majors. I don't know if I side with them. I, I wouldn't put it that way. I sympathize or I guess I empathize would be the better way of well, saying I cer- it. I certainly don't empathize with them because they, they made to move to live knowing, my point. knowing full yes. well that this could be consequences. Yes. And so, and I think most of the players that I talked to at Doral understand that they understand that when they walked away, this was always going to be a possibility, regardless of what Greg Norman or anyone else at Live Golf said, that this, there was always going to be the chance that you, they weren't going to get world ranking points and that the majors were going to become a non-starter. I guess this all dovetails with the larger conversation that's going on right now. And, and I've been on sort of this alert since late Friday night, as far as story broke on Sportico, that Endeavor, which is a big uh, private equity firm, had essentially been told by the PGA Tour that the bid that they had made as part of whatever's going to come to the new with the new co with PGA tour enterprises, what did wasn't good enough. And so they had to walk away. I've been told that there's six or seven other private equities who have shown an interest, sent in a bid, whatever the case may be. And that includes the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia. I think this is all contingent on wherever we land, whether if that's two months from now, when December 31st comes and goes, and that's the deadline for the framework agreement, or my guess is beyond that because it's I would find it hard to believe that they come to some sort of solution. I, I'm sure the majors are just going to wait to see how this plays out. I want to touch on that, Rex. So in, Endeavor was believed to be one of the leading candidates, right, to invest in the PGA Tour's new for-profit model. My, my initial takeaway after seeing that headline was that if the tour is in any position at all to turn down this offer, it either has or it believes that it will get a better deal, either from the PIF or other suitors. As you mentioned, there's probably six or seven others that are in the mix. Do you agree with that takeaway, that, that if, the, if the tour is turning it down, it either has a better deal or it believes that it can get one over the next couple of months? My understanding is the Endeavor deal was the, the least attractive of however many they have, whether it's six or seven, whether it's two or three. We know the PIF is involved in these negotiations. I think it's safe to say Fenway Sports is involved. Uh, I think their CEO has actually admitted as much in in the media. There's a connection between Jay Monahan and Fenway Sports. He he essentially started his career there. So you would think that those negotiations would be robust, to use that word for the second time on the podcast. Must be trying to get some sort of award today. Um, the way it was explained to me explained to me is this process is trying to find the best possible deal for the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour players. And in this particular case, it's clear Endeavor, Endeavor's offer was not that. Now, this, this is going to come up over the next few months, if not the next few years. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. A lot of this deal is hanging in the balance because of player equity. 
And that's the way the tour hopes to make those players whole. We're talking about Rory, talking about Tiger. We're talking about the players who stay loyal to the PGA Tour is offer them some sort of equity in whatever PGA Tour Enterprises is going to be. It seems Endeavor's offer didn't include any player equity. So that's a non-starter. I, I said this yesterday on Golf Today. I was I was on after you, you did your roundtable with Joel Beal, which was very good, by the way. Um, I, I, I will say this, that I was talking with someone in the private equity world about this yesterday. And I said, I can only imagine how complicated negotiations are for a billion-dollar deal between two entities that are that large, the PGA Tour, the Public Investment Fund, and then whoever else is involved. Like, you, I can only envision in my mind how complicated and nuanced those negotiations are. Now you add to this the idea that, oh, if we also make this work, then we have to find a way to get the live players back on the PGA Tour in a way that appeases everyone, which seems impossible. You need to find a way to make the players whole who stay loyal to the PGA Tour. And you also have to figure out how the governance works because now all of a sudden you have one entity, whether that's the PIF or someone else, that has invested billions and they're going to want a seat at the table. And how much is the tour going to be willing to give up to accept that money? It's, it's so many steps and it's so involved. Like once, once I kind of went down the rabbit hole on Friday night, when the Sportico story broke, like I'm becoming more and more disheveled by the whole idea because I can't wrap my mind around how this would ever work. It's, it's so nuanced and it would represent such a seismic shift in the PGA tours future. Like thinking that this all could get hammered out in six months uh, seemed pretty wildly unrealistic I, I i'm with you as it relates to to fenway i don't i don't know what would be like the golf equivalent of this like they're essentially the leader in the clubhouse at this point like jay monahan began his career at fenway he was the evp before he left for the tour uh, fenway is also involved with uh, tgl the new tiger and rory tech infused league with the boston area team uh we'll get, get to that uh, in a moment here as well so that would certainly be an, an attractive option you quote unquote leader in the clubhouse if they are going to go the pe way there was rex one one thing that i wanted to to touch on because initially when the first story came out there was there was some talk that that the piff must have spiked this endeavor deal because they have the right of first refusal in the framework agreement but that's not true and and to me that's an important distinction for readers and listeners to know can you lay that out for us this is the third copy of the framework agreement that I've printed out because I keep keep like scribbling all over it that eventually it looks like a three-year-old's, you know, project that you put on the refrigerator. So I keep having to, to print it back out. But in the first section, it refers to the PIF having right of first refusal, but that's only if there is a definitive agreement. So between now and the and the idea that there may or may not be a definitive agreement, they do not. The PIF does not have right of first refusal. When that clause would come into to play would be if we get to December 31st and they announce that the PGA Tour and the PIF have come up with X, Y, and Z, whatever the definitive agreement looks like, at that point, this agreement calls for them to have right of first refusal on future investment. So at that point, if Finlay still wanted to stay in the game and we still want to be involved and we'd like to invest $1 billion instead of $2 billion, then the PIF would have the right to say yes or, or no to that. I, and I do want to just to clean up real quick. I don't know that Fenway is the leader in the clubhouse, to be honest with you. I, I just don't know. If I had to guess, it's, it's, I think the PIF is still the leader because they are going to give the most attractive offer. I don't have a doubt in my mind that they're going to offer the most attractive deal for the tour and for the players for all the reasons that you and I have talked about. The idea that the public investment fund wants an immediate return on their investment is not correct. 
Like they think in decades, not days. Whereas if you go to any other private equity, PE, as you're, you're calling it now, they want some sort of return and they want it almost immediately. So let's say Fenway does step in and they do suddenly get a seat at the table and a piece of the PGA Tour in this new for-profit entity. They're going to want to see results very, very quickly. And where do those results come from? Because now you start talking about why does the tour need $2 billion or whatever the number is of, of injection? Like why do they need the money? The easy answer is because the model they've created with the signature events and the elevated purses and everything it's not else, sustainable. it's not sustainable that based on the economics of the moment, they can't do this. Even with very, very lucrative media rights deals, they can't sustain this. And so you need that $2 billion. But going forward, where does the profit come from? Cutting. They have to cut. Cutting, consolidation. You're talking about – and I've asked this question a couple of times and never gotten a good answer. The idea that NUCO or PGA Tour Enterprises is going to be made up of all the for-profit assets of the PGA Tour as well as Live Golf and the DP World Tour. I, I've asked for a list. Like give me 10 items that are for-profit. And it's, it's very, very hard to get that definitive list. And I will say that suddenly you start talking about the TPC networks. You start talking about the president, President's Cup would be a for-profit asset. You're talking about any of the events that fall under championship management. There are a lot of things involved here, but I don't see how that profit margin works in the traditional sense for a PE. The wow, reason why I think... Boring conversation. No, but the reason I, th- I still think Fenway is a leader in the clubhouse is because the, uh, a tour PIF deal would not be palatable to... The majority of the members, it wouldn't be palatable to the fans. It wouldn't be palatable to U.S. lawmakers. It wouldn't be palatable potentially uh, to the DOJ, which is already looking. The DOJ would be the bigger one. Yeah, Yeah, the DOJ. And And look, the players have to approve this, but the DOJ one is going to make or break this. Yeah, and so we're potentially looking at a split on December 31st, the two sides going their separate ways uh, if the deadline is not extended. And then as we talked about last week on the podcast, following your trip, to live Miami could get into a situation where the PIF and live simply double down on their model and go perhaps even more aggressively uh, in courting some of the PGA Tour players. Whether they would make the jump, knowing what we know now about the OWGR decision, uh, very much remains to be seen. Rex, we touched on the TGL. There was some news that came out on Tuesday. Not going to lie, a little bit confused by the whole TGL thing. We know there's going to be 24 players. Uh, we know there's going to be matches that begin on Tuesday uh, during football season, and I believe they switch to Monday nights in primetime, be broadcast on ESPN. But the format came out with this, what they're calling this modern match play, uh, as well as the venue. Uh, I'll touch real quick on the venue. It's actually bigger than I thought it was going to be. I thought this would, they're basically just like going to a PJ Tour Superstore and like hitting into the screen. Like you and I have done countless times uh, where they juice the numbers. Uh, they, 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 they guilt you into getting uh, the brand new driver. And then when you actually get on the range, uh, you hit it everywhere. Uh, more on that in a bit as well. But the, the actual golf course, uh, what they're doing, it, this, is at, this is at this newly built SoFi Center. It is 97 yards long, roughly the size of a football field. They're hitting off real grass tee boxes. Uh, there's going to be sand. Uh, the, the simulator screen that they are hitting into is uh, 20 times the size of a standard simulator. So I, I didn't quite have that, that visual uh, in my mind exactly right. Uh, I'm also intrigued, Rex, by this custom-built uh, green complex that they call in the green zone. It's larger than four basketball courts uh, and will feature the largest ever adaptable putting surface uh, in which these things, these actuators and jacks can change the slope of the green. 
I don't understand it. Uh, I'm going to have to cover the first one uh, in person just to see it for myself and just to get a bigger uh, understanding. I think you want to go to the first one as well. But what was your takeaway from the format, the venue, the course, uh, as this thing starts to take shape uh, beginning in January 2024? Uh, I've talked about TGL uh, quite a bit. I think I have been the one that says the technology is going to be the thing, uh, along with the personalities that make or break this. It, it, this is an entertainment product. I'm going to hijack the podcast one more time. My apologies to Jason Gold because I'm going to need you to slide that graphic in right about now, the, the one that I, I sent you. Because I, I do want to point this out, that we are 23 minutes in, and this has not come up, that you and I played each other in fantasy football this oh, week. God. And not only did I win, which uh, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to win. At the beginning of the week, the projections were not going my way. The final score, ladies and gentlemen, drum roll, 166.18 to 99.28. Were you even trying? Uh, it's just really tough. I mean, we're, we're, we're sitting here. I've got Lamar uh, Jackson Jackson on on IR. I, I mean, I feel good that I beat one of your sons last week, but this team this team's just not very good. It is not it has not panned out exactly how I thought. Bijan Robinson uh, has not been the the slate breaker that we always anticipated. Tony Pollard has been a massive disappointment. Uh, his expected fantasy points uh, per carry uh, is among the worst in the league. I'm I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a low I'm in a low spot right now, Rex. I'm not feeling good about it, uh, and I don't. I don't actually feel good about making a deep playoff push. Uh, you notice I didn't mention anything about my team in the other league, so clearly I don't want to address that at all. That's, you're that's you're in 12th. I'm at 11. Ooh. Oof, that's not going well at all. Uh, to answer your question, we do these pods early because you're very much a morning person, so it takes me a while to wake up even with a, a gallon of coffee down my throat. I will say that this concept kind of gets me fired up. And uh, again, this is contingent on two different things. One, the technology has to work. And I, you and I are friends with a lot of people who are working for this outfit. And I have a lot of faith that they can get the te- technology to work, but it's never been done before. So there's a lot of logistical challenges that they're going to have to get to if the product that we end up with on January 9th, I believe it is, if we're watching it and you and I are both kind of like, yeah, that's cool. As I've gone through the list and as I've spoken with people there, I've kind of gotten very excited about the idea that hitting off real grass, oh, that's awesome. Hitting out a real rough, yeah, very, very good. Any shot from 50 to 60, 70 yards will be actual shots, not into that big oversized simulator green. All of this is is very attractive to me. The idea that you can essentially turn the green into whatever green you want to turn it into. It's sort of on a rotating rotating table. It has all kinds of of levers underneath that you can create breaks here. Uh, I remember having a meeting it was earlier this year with some folks and they were talking about what they were hoping to build in, in the SoFi center. And the idea going forward, this won't be out of the gates, but imagine that let's say Tiger Woods, team is the home team this Tuesday night. And Tiger has decided to build his own. It, it's only, it only needs to be a 15 hole golf course because they only play 15 hole matches, but it, he can build his own virtual 15 hole golf course. Imagine sort of the opportunities. So I do think that part is cool. If they can pull it off the bigger part in my mind, is are the players going to realize that this is less competition and more entertainment? Because a lot of players that they've signed up, in my opinion, have a hard time wrapping their mind around that. And you're going to need personality, personality, personality. Like you're going to need all of these players to be on top of their game. And I'm not talking about their putting and their wedge game. Really don't care about that stuff. What I want to hear is Patrick Cantlay showing some sort of personality, which he's always struggled with in the past. I Lucas Glover is on one of the teams and I've covered Lucas for a long time. Big fan. I don't know that he has the gear to show 
some sort of real personality in the heat of the moment. All these players are going to be mic'd up. It's going to be live. You're going to have the opportunity to talk smack. You're going to have the opportunity to have a little fun with it. Will they? That's going to be the... the Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. Breaker. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a, an intriguing collection of players. I think any time you have Tiger and Rory at the helm, it has an opportunity to be successful. We've seen Tiger, though, in a, in a number of mic'd up situations, whether it's with the matches or skin games, whatever the case may be. Uh, he is not the most appealing mic'd up player. He seems very hesitant to say what he w- actually wants to say, uh, despite him being uh, an, a notorious trash talker among the players. I, I'm with you. Like, I do think there is, is some potential, like, JT mic'd up is always a good time. Uh, Max Hoover will be good. Mic'd up is good. Billy Horschel mic'd up. Terrell Hatton mic'd up. I want to know how long uh, the delay uh, is going to be. Uh, Tom Kim. But you also have, I guess, some more subdued personalities, whether it's Cantlay, whether it's Cam Young, whether it's Lucas Glover. You also mix in some of these new age guys like, like Min Woo Lee. I, I'm, I'm curious to see it. I'm not sure if it's going to be a, a – a a smash i'm not sure if i'm going to be tuning in and setting my alarm uh, every monday night to watch uh but uh, i do think there is potential how much how much these guys getting paid rex how much what's your what's your inclination what are your sources hashtag sources uh, telling you about how much is actually getting into these guys pockets depends who it is obviously tiger and rory are co-founders of the league and so they're they have equity and they're they're fully invested in whatever it's going to become they've actually put a a lot of very very strong business people behind them i think arthur blank owns the team from Mm -hmm. atlanta like you can keep going down the list of cohen brothers the cohen brothers are over the new york team so they they from a business model it seems to be working well i don't think the actual contracts because if you look at the number of players that they've actually announced and signed they have more players than they have spots that's by design because they know that Rory probably is going to struggle to get from, let's say he plays in Maui to start the year. Nope. Some players are going to struggle to turn around. Well, yeah, that's he's a bad example. But whoever <laughs> starts at Century and get all the way to the East Coast by Tuesday. So there's going to be some logistical things. So they had to create more spots. So it's very much a sliding scale. I think this goes back to, and again, this is the player empowerment thing. I think less about what they're getting paid up front. This isn't live golf. They weren't all just offered millions of dollars in contracts. I think what they were offered is equity in whatever it's going to become in the future. And I think like the announcement that came on Tuesday kind of talked about the idea that now you're going to start getting into the franchises. You're going to start getting into the teams, which is very similar to what live golf is doing. And that's how that equity is going to build. I, I don't think there was any staggering figures for anyone right out of the gate. There was probably some sort of, appearance fee like money but the bigger deal is okay now you have equity and whatever the new york team is going to be yeah i just i just found it interesting with some of the players who have been announced to tgl who have kind of had one eye 
on live over the past couple of years, whether it's Cameron Young, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, Adam Scott signing up for this thing. There had to have been some sort of inducement uh, that would certainly help. So uh, make sure to go to golfshell.com uh, or NBCSports.com slash golf uh, for the latest on the venue and the format, which yours, uh, your Rex Hoggard laid out in intricate detail. Rex, you'll be up in the Ponte Vedra area on Wednesday for a driver fitting with our friends from Titleist. Not going to lie, played golf last Friday, uh, four days ago. Easily, easily the worst round of golf I've ever played in my life. I didn't lose one ball. I didn't lose six balls. I didn't lose 10 balls. I lost 14 golf balls, each and every one, a Titleist Pro V1. And so every time I'm just sniping it into a hazard five dollars five dollars five dollars it's over and over again left going left uh, i don't care what golf course you're playing i would happen to be playing at marsh landing where i'm now remember shout out marsh landing but lily could not play that shot on any golf course like they're 100 100 yards left and so that makes me a little bit fearful for a driver fitting because i might be uh, unsalvageable at this point uh I did want to give you some breaking news, Rex. Uh, the high forecast, the, the high temperature for Wednesday uh, is a real feel of 59 degrees uh, with wind gusts of, uh, yes, this is right, uh, 37 miles an hour. If that, if that wind is into and, and from the left, uh, we're both right-handed, not even going to bother showing up. Just give me a standard driver. Uh, I won't have to do this another time. What are, what are your thoughts on uh, your, your upcoming visit? Uh, well, we could have done it today, Halloween. So we could have done it Tuesday. And I think that's a Ponte Vedra and club and whatever the case yeah, may Ponte, be. Ponte Vedra Inn and Club, very nice, $100,000 initiation fee. Can we, uh, <laughs> can we change to today? Is, is that ship sailed? No? Uh, that ship has sailed. Yep. Not possible. Uh, then Not then possible. do the best is, we can. It is, Actually, it is beautiful today. It's 80 degrees. It's going to be a wonderful night uh, for trick-or-treating until God knows what hour uh yeah because uh into off the right uh yeah off the left that's gonna be no good like what's the use like i think i'll just mail it in the bigger issue for me is i i haven't put the top back on my jeep so it might be a cold ride up and a cold ride back is the bigger (sighs) issue i mean that is a massive cold front that is sweeping in if we're dropping 25 degrees day over day however i'm still optimistic that they can they can position us on the range to maybe get down and off the right uh in which we could just take those drives to pound town, uh, set unrealistic expectations for ourselves. Uh, only I think to, they have hitting bays to too at Pablo Creek, if I remember correctly. Like they have a very nice setup. Like you mentioned, the the entry fee for Ponte Vedra. My guess is the entry fee for Pablo is even higher. Yeah, even higher. We will not be sneaking out uh, for an emergency eighteen uh, after our fitting session, but we are are very much looking forward to that. Uh, we'll have a full recap uh, and excruciating detail on next week's podcast. Rex, a big Saturday ahead of us in college football, at least for those of us who support the number one Georgia Bulldogs uh, home against Missouri, the team that almost tripped up the Bulldogs last year and rocked with their back-to-back national championships. That's the 330 game. And then uh, LSU at Alabama, essentially the game that will decide uh, the SEC West champion who Georgia hopefully will be facing the SEC championship game. So in other words, what are you throwing on the grill? Uh, that's a good question. I just got the kitchen done, so I'm trying to get it all organized back there. Did smash burgers last night. I did smash burgers last night with uh, pimento cheese instead of regular cheese. Kids loved it. Went over really well. 
Uh, don't know. Haven't even uh, thought about it. I, I haven't done ribs in a while. I think we're going to have friends over this weekend for the games. By the way, Georgia looked really good against Florida. As an aside, uh, since I've already capitulated to the bunkmate, you know what uh, we won't ever be doing again? We'll never be going to a college football game because she made it exactly one quarter, not one half, not one game, one quarter at the UCF game against West Virginia on Saturday. So we won't be doing that again. What was what was the reason? I mean, my, my wife has taken Cam, my four-year-old, uh, to two Jaguars games this year, he at least la- he at least lasted one half, and nope. and, and he's and he's a, and he's a mere child. Uh, we barely made it into the stadium. It was too hot, which it was kind of hot. I, I will grant you that. Although it's better than it could have been in Central Florida this time of year, uh, and it was very crowded. It was a sold out game, and the bounce house probably isn't uh the most relaxing place if you're you kind of have some anxiety issues already going into it it's moving around quite a bit in in that particular game so it was it was a couple different things and that didn't work out very well as a matter of fact i'm actually surprised by the time we parked uh and we got really good parking my brother-in-law actually worked for the school so we were able to use his tickets and his parking by the time we parked i was shocked that she actually got out of the car because it already had built to the idea that yes she wasn't going to like this at all oh gosh Oh, so, yeah, yeah. so that's so that's, that's the last Bunks, uh, last football game uh, of the year. I had a great time with my wife, uh, as well as your friend and mine, uh, Ricky Johnson, and his lovely wife, Catherine. We had great seats for the Georgia-Florida game, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Have you, ever zone, heard right? of, you ever heard of this? It's like loge seating. I might be mispronouncing that. L-O-G-E. Never heard of it. It's essentially a platform that is erected on the field. And so, like, we could not have been closer to the end zone. Very interesting angle. Never sat that low before, like seeing the gaps lined up. And if, if you think a, a, a college football player looks small on TV, I guarantee he is not. Even like the scrawniest, most pipsqueak college football player is still massive in real life. And to see the speed with which the offensive linemen move and the defensive linemen move uh, was absolutely breathtaking seeing it. Uh, that up close and personal. I mean, I hadn't done that for a Georgia game in 15 years since I used to cover uh, the Bulldogs for the Athens Bear Hall. So that was certainly an eye-opening experience and always better when the dogs win. How'd you get those tickets? to 20. Uh, shout out Kevin Miller uh, to the UGA athletic department. He has now moved on to Virginia. And so I need to find a new friend in the athletic department. Uh, so if anyone's <laughs> listening from this from UGA, uh, I'll hit you up on October 1, 2024 uh, for some more Georgia, Florida tickets. Uh, thank you for asking, Rex, what we're going to be doing uh, this weekend. Uh, you mentioned Smash Burgers. Uh, my wife's aunt and uncle, who I love dearly, are coming to visit on Friday. They actually requested Smash Burgers. They have become such a hit uh, in the Labner Hoskin family uh, that I'll be doing that for them. Uh, I do appreciate uh, that price point better than trying to do like five or six uh, ribeyes, uh, which could have gotten a little bit pricey. We'll also go down to Dan's Seafood in Ponte Vedra uh, over near uh, TBC Sawgrass, uh, get two dozen oysters. We had them for our seafood fest a couple of weeks ago. They were big. They were easy to open. They were salty and briny and delicious. Uh, so looking forward to doing that. How'd you cook those? Did you smoke those? Uh, no, I just grilled them. So you pop, pop them open. Uh, wait, till the, wait till it starts bubbling a little bit. Throw some cheese down. Melt it. Whew. Char-grilled oysters can absolutely not beat them. On Saturday for the game, uh, I've got a pork butt I've been meaning to throw on the workhorse, and so I'll do that. We'll probably do some pulled pork nachos, which should tide us over uh, for the six or seven hours that we have to do. Might smoke a tri-tip as well. Shout out my buddy Sean, who hosted us for the Jags game on Sunday. Had a delicious tri-tip. That got me in the mood to make one as well. All right. That's going to do it for this edition the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. Happy Halloween 
to all who celebrate. Enjoy those full-size candy bars. And if you go to the Hoggard House, most certainly enjoy those double IPAs. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.